five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Bazinga. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Houston, and I'm joined once again by my wonderful co-host, Lewis. Today, we're going to be looking at two films. We're going to be looking at Old, which is M. Night Shyamalan's new film. It's a, a... thriller drama with a sci-fi concept high concept psychological thriller you may say and um, we're also looking at space jam 2 uh, a new modern day sequel to the 90s classic which sees lebron james teaming up with the looney tunes to try and win a game of basketball um which of course has been highly also controversial high con- and very also high concept also high concept, you may say. Yeah. Uh, and along with those things, we're also going to be having a list, a few uh, short reviews of things that uh, Lewis has been watching the last week. Now, um, anyone that was listening to the last podcast uh, probably expected this podcast to be Lewis and JL, uh, like I said last week, because we, I was going to take a break. Unfortunately, some technical issues have stopped JL being able to record today. Hopefully, we'll be having him back in the future, perhaps to talk about the Suicide Squad next week. Um, but he was unavailable to make it, so I've had to step back in. Um, and originally we were going to be doing escape room, but we decided that you didn't really, you know, get the, the big attraction or capture the zeitgeist, so to speak. Uh, so we decided to go for, um, old, which came out a few days later. Um, how are you doing today, Lewis? How, how, how are you feeling? I'm good. I'm not too bad. I've recently been vaccinated, so I was floored by the vaccine, but I'm on the way back to hundred percent and I feel well enough to record again because, uh, yeah. this has been difficult episode to actually make <laughs> yeah yeah we've had some we've been in production hell we've uh, had some delays and stuff but um yeah of course uh, now if anybody i think that um suits you right for getting a weird vaccine well i think moderna Moder- team moderna i've not heard any person getting moderna i don't think oh my friend harry has but i've all the people i know only one person other than you has moderna what pfizer astrazeneca you know Let's call the whole thing off. But Moderna, what even is that? It, but, it's um, the it's the vaccine that the best people get. They reserve it for the best. Really, it's like <laughs> that dating app for what's that dating app called for um, like super rich people? I have no idea. John, I can't remember it's called. Like you know, there's there's an app when it's like just people that like you have to get invited. And, like Ben Affleck's on there and shit. Oh right, but yeah, like, it's like Christian that, Mingle. But but for rich people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's Christian Mingle. Yeah, exactly, for millionaires. Um, and, of course, I have been invited um, for my role on the National <laughs> Podcast. Um, I thought I was going to... I'll tell you, I, I did tweet this out yesterday. Uh, I thought I had a fucking stroke yesterday. Oh, did I did I, see I that. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah. What happened? Fucking... I, 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 I overdosed on garlic, I think. On I don't garlic, know if that's a you overdosed yeah, on think, garlic. Yeah, I think I'm like allergic, <laughs> but like not very allergic because I've gone through twenty one, no, twenty years of my life without realizing. Um, but I had like a, I had, <laughs> I had garlic bread the night before, and then me and my mates had pizza, and I had the the double decadence, which has got garlic between in the middle of the pizza, and I had added garlic spread to it, and I dipped it in garlic sauce, and I think that made me. I thought I had a stroke, like, my whole right side of my face, like, went numb and shit. Oh, Jesus. seeing stars, mate. On garlic. That's how my week's been. On garlic. I think I've overdosed on garlic. <laughs> so I've not touched any garlic. Yeah. Isn't that mad, eh? That is, that is odd. I've never heard of anyone overdosing on garlic. <laughs> you OD'd on garlic. 
I think I just, I just think I'm really slightly allergic. I think that's the, that's the vibe. It's a strange um, thing to discover, I... like at twenty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't, are you allergic to anything? No, I have a strong immune a... system. Really? Okay. <laughs> Apart from when it comes to I receiving think... vaccines. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> I think I'm allergic to like copper or something like that because like I used to wear a copper bracelet and it used to give me rashes. Ooh. Anyway. What have you uh, watched this week? I've actually watched quite a lot this week because obviously I wasn't on last mm. week. So Yeah, oh I yeah, have, so it's uh, actually like a week and a half, yeah. Yeah. Well I say quite a lot. I've not actually watched quite a lot because I haven't like been going out much because all the restrictions have been lifted and I'm very apprehensive to go back to the cinema being jam packed. But I have ugh. is that an ugh at me or an ugh at cinemas? Uh, you being a hypochondriac (laughs) well but I have seen some interesting films I went to see The Forever Purge that you did last week with Brandon right and I actually thought that was a lot of fun it was it was shit because they are but it was was quite a bit of fun and I also uh, one of the things that I watched it with Jordan and one of the things that we both liked about it was the cinematography because we both noticed uh, there's a very oddly placed long one shot in the middle of it when they get out of the truck in El Paso. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. There's a really long one take. And I was watching it and I was like, this is a one take. This is impressive because I like like a good one take. Uh, I also watched uh, Precious which is the film that won Monique an Oscar in 2009. Um, it really is one of the most depressing and devastating films ever. It's just constant depression and everything feels horrible until like the final scene, but even the final scene is tinged. Uh, I won't like spoil it for anyone who wants yeah, to go sure, and see it. Sure. Uh, and then probably the most interesting film that I watched was um, 1921, which is literally a Chinese propaganda film. And I have no idea why this is shown at Odeon, because they weren't. They haven't shown another round, which won an Oscar, but they are showing Chinese propaganda films, which is, it's it's made on the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Communist Party, and it is about the Chinese Communist Party, and it's made by and for the Chinese Communist Party. So as you can imagine, it's very biased, um... I mean, sorry, I mean, it's totally unbiased. There's no yeah. no bias towards it. No no swaying of the facts. This is pure factual filmmaking. Um, and other than what we're talking about, I haven't watched that much. Oh, no, I watched Nowhere Special. I also watched that with Jordan, which is uh, quite a de- another depressing film about a man who is ill in some way. He has cancer or something and he's dying. And he has a kid and he has to find a family to take in his kid once he's died. Um, and it was quite sad, but uh, it did go on for a bit long. So it did drag right. a bit, but it was good. It was it was okay. good, and I definitely think everyone should give it a go. Okay, nice, nice, nice. Um, I watched a, a few things. Um, first thing I rewatched, uh, just because I thought I'd, I'd mention it, because I rewatched Black Widow in the cinema with my friend the other day, and I mentioned in the original review how I'd, I'd missed a few scenes um, through oh, yeah. my tiredness. I, I, I've slept through a couple of scenes last time because I was very ill, and I rewatched it in full, and I actually found that I, I, re- I enjoyed it a lot more, actually. I, I was quite, I was very positive about it on the podcast, but I actually think I'd even go one step further and say I really, really liked it, actually, when I rewatched it, and I think that a lot of the problems I had on the second watch I, I didn't have. For example, my disdain towards um, 
Ray Winston's character. Uh, you know, I didn't really go in too hard on him on the podcast, but I kind of said when I talked to people about it, I kind of said about how he was one of the weaker bad guys and you know ridiculous, but. Watching it back, I actually think he was a very, very good bad guy, and I think that the way they built him up as this kind of like behind the scenes, like like he's been pulling the strings the whole time. I think I don't think his accent is even that as bad as I made it out to be. I think it's just that I know that it's Ray Winston. I think if I hadn't heard of him, I probably wouldn't have a problem with it. Um, so I actually found out that I, I enjoy Black Widow a lot more than I did before. The third act, the end of the third act is a bit rough, but yeah. up to then, I think it's a really, really intriguing film. At one point, I was thinking, okay, this is an 8 out of 10 or an 8.5. Yeah. The, the kind of ending explosions, you know, it's a bit marvelly. Yeah. I'd probably stick to my 7, 7.5. But yeah, I'd enjoyed it a lot more in the second time. Now, let's go into actual films that I've watched. There's two big films I've watched this week, um, neither of which new, um, but both of which are films that people have been telling me, why haven't you seen this? Why haven't you seen this? So I took two, ticked two boxes off. Now, ahead of Last Night in Soho, I thought, okay, I need to get around to uh, finishing off Edgar Wright because I've only seen a few Edgar Wright films. I haven't seen Hot Fuzz properly. I've seen it on telly. I've not seen it the full way through. I haven't really given it attention. So I need to watch Hot Fuzz. I need to watch Scott Pilgrim. And I need to watch Baby Driver. So I, re- so I watched uh, Baby Driver for the first time. And... I, I loved it. It's a really, really, really good film. And I, I, I think everyone said that. Now, of course, there's been some controversy with two of the major actors being yeah. caught up in, in allegations. Of course, one person, it, it's, you know, it's very early allegations and you, know, you wouldn't want to say anything about the case because it's so early. The other one, you know, is a little bit more, you know, cut and dry. You know, Kevin Spacey, obviously a, a lot more evidence for that. Yeah. But again, as I said in my review on Letterboxd, I'm just going to pretend that the main two characters were... <laughs> played by Miles Teller and James Spader. So in my head, it was fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it really hasn't yeah, aged a, well, that cast. <laughs> yeah, no. But if you um, separate art from artist, um, which I've always kind of found myself being, you know, mm. that's something I'm prepared to do at any point. Um, I, I really think it was a very, very, you know, it's, it's very, very great. So stylized and, you know, it's it's very, very good to look at. The plot took me a place I didn't think it would. Um, and yeah, and it was the usage of music whilst, you know, it's so blatantly obvious, such a basic thing to say is as good as any film I've ever seen. It really is a top toilet quality film. And I'm very much looking forward to, to watching Scott Pilgrim now because I've heard, you know, more positive things about that than, than this. And yeah, you know, Baby Driver was very, very good. So you fan of the film? Uh, I, I quite like Baby Driver. Yeah. But, um, yeah. it's not, it's probably my least favorite Edgar Wright, but that's, Still a compliment because I still yeah. like Edgar, all of Edgar Wright. Yes, it's like they're all amazing. Um, sure, sure. But Scott Pilgrim is—I watched that for the first time last year. It got re-released because of the tenth anniversary. I watched it last year before it wasn't in Dolby because it got released in Dolby as well this year. Um, but it got re-released in like November last year. I went to see it, and it for the first time, and it was incredible. It blew me away. It's it's so funny and so like comic book actiony. It's brilliant. I, I'm very intrigued yeah. to hear your thoughts on that because it is. Yeah, it, it, it. it really was brilliant and it surprised me a lot and that was by up until then um hot fuzz was my favorite great but it, it now it's definitely scott pilgrim yeah and yeah. i'm very very okay, intrigued well, about last night in soho because obviously yeah. most of his films are kind of comedy-ish yeah, and yeah, baby yeah, driver definitely. which is i think maybe the least comedy um, is it's my least favourite. Oh yeah, it's still definitely oh, a comedy. Right. I see, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, right, yeah. the one with the least comedy is my least favourite, so I'm very intrigued about Last Night in Soho, which is kind of horror-ish. 
Right, I'd say I prefer Baby Driver to The World's End, personally. Um, oh, that's true. I forgot about The World's End. Yeah, The World's End. Yeah, yeah. that's my least favourite one. Which is still a good film. Still a good yeah, film. it's still great. Ed Ferrara is very, very consistent. Um, yeah. Yeah, as I say, as I said, not seeing two of his films. But I'll have to get around to those. <laughs> um, but yeah, the other film I watched this week was even better. Uh, and I had been meaning to get around to this to a, for a long time. Um, and I'm very happy I've, I've got it ticked off, um, which is the 1996 Danny Boyle film Train Spotting, um, starring you know McGregor and Tommy Lee Miller and uh, Tommy Lee Miller, uh, Johnny Lee Miller. Sorry, it's getting mixed up with Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, Johnny Lee Miller and Kelly McDonald and you know uh, Robert Carlyle and you know a million people. Yeah, yeah. pretty much every famous British actor has popped up in that film somewhere. <laughs> well, yeah, not everyone, um, but a so- lot. <laughs> no, well, every famous Scottish actor and a couple, yeah, a couple of English in there. Um, yeah, so I hadn't seen Transporting, and it was kind of one of those films that's always in the kind of top one hundred lists, and especially in British, you know, it's normally like top top fifteen, top mm. twenty British films all the time. And uh, and I've got, and I'm a I'm a big fan of of, of Danny Boyle, and you know, in general, and I'm a big fan of Shetland the Millionaire, and and uh, you know, I was even a big fan of Yesterday, which wasn't so like widely acclaimed. And I absolutely love Train Spotting, and I thought that it was everything that people said it was going to be, and more. And yeah, it just captivated me, and it, it sums up the the era and the time so well, and it feels so real. Um, I love the, the the way that they represent drugs, and also how necessarily they don't go for the kind of redemption arc in the traditional sense, and they kind of he you know creates these confused characters and this you know confused sense of morality um in a way that is you know entertaining and you don't necessarily feel unattached um you know it's just it's excellent and the, the the acting from from a lot of people here especially Ian McGregor and and Robert Carlyle is is just exceptional and I, you know I'm shame I hadn't seen it earlier cuz you know I would have been waxing lyrical for a long time but yeah, yeah truly truly an excellent film and um yeah I loved it it is brilliant. I love Trainspotting. I rewatched it a while ago. Do you want to know a fun fact about Bigby, Robert Carlyle's character? Go for it. He's gay. Fun is fact. He? Yeah. Robert Carlyle said in- said afterwards that he played Bigby as though he was a closeted gay man, and that explained his all of his violence because he was scared of being outed. And then the author of the book, because it's based on a book, confirmed it and said, "Yeah, Bigby's gay." So fun fact for you. LGB, nice, nice. LGBT um, film Trainspotting. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Right, okay, that makes sense. Okay, let's see that now. Um, this morning I had a um, a hangover, and I kind of felt a bit shit, and I was like, I got a takeaway, and I was like, I went to go watch Mother, you know, the I, ne- I haven't seen Mother, um, but, you know, it's like the most, like, divisive film ever. Mm. Um, I was going, I went to put it on, and I thought, oh, you know, like, I've got a hangover, and I'm feeling <laughs> miserable, and it's like, I really don't want to have to sit for these, like, high concept intense allegorical like drama so i was like oh what do i watch i was like looking through netflix for ages i was like i'll just fucking shove on rick and morty i've never seen rick and morty before i was like everyone always goes on about rick and morty as being like so funny however and i sat through eight episodes of it and i actually really liked it so that, that's one thing i started this week is that you know despite the fact that he has like such a painfully cringeworthy fan base um i thought it was actually really funny so i watched rick and morty this week as well now um do we want to start off? So we've got a few things for you to talk about before we go into our main films. Uh, just short, quickly. Uh, just you know, um, we've got to talk about the Crudes two, which you've seen, um, and and Deerskin and and Ted Lasso, which I saw as well. So um, if you want to start off, just I wouldn't say a full, um, even a mini review, but just just very quickly, what your thoughts were on the Crude two were? 
Uh, it was well animated. It was fun. Uh, it was kind of the most thoroughly average animated sequel ever. You know how they say a lot of animated films, particularly say about Pixar and Sony, that uh, a lot of animated films are for kids, but they kind of have stuff in there for the parents to enjoy as well. This felt like it was completely just made for kids. Like, there was no appeal to adults in this. Uh, you know, they say animation isn't necessarily for kids. The Croods 2 is. There was, like, it was a thoroughly average animated sequel um, with pretty good voice acting from Nick Cage and not really anyone else um but it was it was all right it was decent you know take your kids to watch it but be prepared to be bored yeah. if you're over the age of like 10 right there was there was a level of spite involved in me asking you to go see that because we had a disagreement yes. about you watching another film so i was like just go fucking watch the cruise you fucking <laughs> stupid prick um what was the cinema like? Were you like the only person without a child, or uh, it was fairly empty? I, I was like, there were, I think there was two other people, and they both had kids, but uh, it was pretty empty anyway. So I didn't. Feel okay, that weird. that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, it's right. Because yeah. <laughs> I have been in situations like um, I felt like, oh no, like, this is awful. But like, yeah, I, I went, went to, to see, see Spies in Disguise once, and it was packed with kids, and I was like, <laughs> the only person on my own. I was like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> Yeah, film, films like that, you need to go with your girlfriend. You need to go yeah. with your girlfriend to go. <laughs> like, if I was like, I was, remember when I was into Pete Rabbit 2, I was like, if I wasn't, it wasn't like my girlfriend, it was just a, a girl that I was with, but it's like, if I watched Pete Rabbit 2 and I wasn't with a girl, I'd feel like a paedophile. Um, <laughs> it is, it's, it's like so everyone else here, everyone else here is either with a woman or is for seven years old or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, which is kind it of also how I felt when I, not on, not age-wise, but I also kind of have felt when I watched Little Women, and I think I was the only bloke in the cinema. Yeah. God, another Little Women um, hate train. Little Women will be mentioned later. Um, <laughs> I will promise to... I'm mentioning Little Women later. Oh. Okay, so... Um, Ted Lasso, um, Series 2 came out. Uh, the first episode of Series 2. They're releasing it weekly, uh, which is, of course, the best way to release TV shows. Um, I'll stand by that. Um but yeah, Tad, Tad Lasso Series 2, Episode 1 came out and it follows the new season of Ted Lasso's career at AFC Richmond um, and and shows that he's starting off life in the championship. Uh, now, we both watched it, uh, last, Ted Lasso Series 1. I think we both watched it after it had fully come out, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. I watched yeah, it literally I saw it like three months after it finished. Yeah, yeah, I, I, me too. I, I didn't see it when it came out, and that's why we didn't ever talk about the podcast. Hmm. Um, I'd never yeah, even like it. Wasn't even surprised. on my radar. It wasn't even on my radar yeah. until it started to win loads of Emmys, and people were like, yeah, Ted Lasso, and I was like, oh, is it actually good? Maybe I should actually pay attention to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of saw the first trailer for the, for it, and I was like, oh my god, that's cheesy. Oh my god, that's cringeworthy. <laughs> and then when I got Apple TV, I wasn't really sure about what to watch. I was like, I'll, I'll shove an episode on. I was like, wow, this is cheesy and corny, but I don't hate it for some reason. Yeah, and then. Throughout the series, it becomes less cheesy. And, mm. um, yeah, it's surprisingly funny, and I really like it. And it's written and, and act, it's written and starring uh, Jason Sudeikis as a American football um, manager that comes over and signed by a soccer team in, in the in the England and has to, uh, you know, doesn't know the sport and, and doesn't know the place and doesn't know the culture and shows that he's kind of, um, like, his happy-go-lucky atmosphere, uh, outlook, and how it kind of affects the people around him now. Um, what do you think of the start of the series too? You, you you hopeful? Did it did it not feel like he'd been capturing the same vibe as the first one? Is it right back into it? What do you think? 
I think it was right back into it. I really loved it. Like I, I binge watched, I rewatched series one, and I binged. I watched all ten episodes in a day, and then immediately started watching the second series. And right. I, I, I didn't feel like there was any change in pace, any change in quality. It was, no, no. it was just as good for me. I think it was great. Yeah, yeah. The, the series, the second series, it. You know, I kind of said a spoiler earlier about kind of the way the season goes, but the, the end of the series, uh, one asks a lot of kind of questions. It's a very positive way of outlook, but it kind of asks a lot of questions about the lives and and the kind of ongoing fortunes of of, of Roy and of Ted and of Jamie and of the football club. And it got right back into it, and I knew I'd felt like uh, I I didn't uh, I forgot what just how much I was missing. Really, it was you know I was like I'm so happy to be back in that world. And again, it's not something that I thought I, I think I'd like. And I have to really talk my friends into giving it a try. It's like what, what Ted Lasso is shite. Like, <laughs> trust me, man, it ain't shite. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I love it. It's it's fun. And but as I said to you before, I've said it. You know, I think I might have even said it when we talked on the podcast. Yeah, get me on the fucking you show. Know, we don't write. even need. We don't even need a football person. We just need one British person because it's not just the the football. Like they say, they one of the British the British woman Keely is approached in a car park and she goes, "You you walked up to me in a parking lot," and I was like, "Do they not know that that yeah. we have different words for things?" Yeah, uh, yeah, and the yeah the the football jargon is is so poor yeah and it's like i don't feel like he's made a conscious decision to make it accessible to to americans because i I don't necessarily think that stuff like you know calling it's like people just little things that you i just think loads of little things i'm like okay we just wouldn't say that like when they say like oh um spot kick instead of penalty or um corner kick instead of corner which is like such a small thing but you wouldn't say like oh yeah you know richmond have a corner kick it's just not something you'd say you'd say oh richmond have a corner just loads of like little things and in this episode they keep talking about ties over and over we're on a seven game tie streak tie 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 if he said it it's fine because he's an american guy but the commentator is saying it the British commentator is saying, and the journalist. it's tied seven of, the, seven of their last eight games. It's like, no, because you would never say tie. We don't mm. say tie. It's not a thing that happens. So get me on it, Jason. Yeah. Give me a ring. Even though I think you support Tottenham, I think. Give me a ring. When you listen to I'm this, gonna fucking, reach out. I'm gonna, when you listen to this, if anyone's friends with Jason Sudeikis, give me a fucking text. <laughs> okay. So positives all around for, for Ted Lasso. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of Deerskin? Which, um, well, what is Deerskin, and what do you think of it? Deerskin is a film about a French man. It's a French film about a French man, a man uh, played by uh, Jean Dujardin, uh, who won an Oscar for The Artist, and he was in Wolf of Wall Street as well. He's a great actor, and he plays this man yeah. who buys a deerskin jacket. And he becomes obsessed with this jacket and he loves it more than anything. And he has this um, goal in mind that his jacket will be the only jacket in the world. So he sets on a mission to get rid of all the other jackets in the world. And I won't say any more because otherwise it will be spoilers. But it was the most insane film I have seen in a long time. What the fuck? It was so... (laughs) What the fuck is that film synopsis? What? I haven't seen this. That is insane. What's going on? Yeah, yeah it is. It's, it, that film synopsis, it makes it sound more sane than it is. Seriously. Right. This is the the most insane, batshit, crazy thing I've ever seen. And I absolutely <laughs> adored it. Like, this this is not yeah. the best film I've ever seen. But this is my favourite film of 2021 by a mile so far. 
I adore, not counting Nomadland because I count that as 2020, but right, okay. this is by a mile the most fun I have had in a cinema in a long time. It was so, so insane. I, I, please, if you have a cinema that is showing this film, go and see it. It is the most insane, crazy thing you will ever see. And I, I really don't want to say anymore, and I'm very tempted because I want to articulate how insane it is, but I really want it to be a surprise because it, it it's just wild and it is, you know, batshit insane crazy. It's brilliant. And I absolutely loved it. Loved it. Adele Heinel is also in it, who was in Portrait of Lady on Fire and who walked out of the French Oscars calling Roman Polanski a pedophile, so she's great, but she's also great in this. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's just, Ooh, it's so brilliant. Yeah. They're showing it in the picture house, so I might be able to get down there at some point. Please go and see Cambridge. it. Yeah. Please, it's, okay. it's brilliant. I loved it so much. It wasn't, it's not the best. It's not the best, but it's only like 85 minutes long. It's very short, but it mm. is so much fun. And I, it's my favourite by a, a lot that I've seen in the cinema in 2021. Brilliant. Interesting, interesting. Do you think that I'm just looking at a picture of him in Dear Skin here? Do you think that in this film, Jean de Jardin looks a little bit like Ted Cruz? Oh, I can't see it now. You said it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're right. He does. He does. does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I clicked on the letterbox thing. It has the header, and I was like, "Is that Ted Cruz?" <laughs> right. I can't see yeah. that now. You've ruined it. I've ruined It's no longer your favourite <laughs> film. No, it's my uh, least favourite film now. Hated it. Don't go and see it. I actually want... To, I think uh, the Now Showing podcast publicly endorses the work of Ted Cruz. Okay, moving on to um, our main films of the week, which is, of course, uh, a Space Jam, a new legacy, um, and an old. But, of course, we'll start off with Space Jam. Now, Space Jam, a new legacy comes um 30 odd years after the original uh which saw michael jordan join up uh join up with the toon squad consisting of bugs bunny and lola and the like um to take on uh some of his fellow nba compatriots who had been turned into monsters um now in 2021 we have a more modern day look at uh, LeBron interacting with the Looney Tunes as um, he enters a simulation world run by a kind of um, algorithmic internet Don Cheadle um, who forces LeBron to play a 5v5 game of basketball uh, inside the simulation um, against um, his collection of souped up NBA monsters and LeBron interacts with a number of, of um, Looney Tunes, a number of um, real-life basketball players, uh, the likes of Anthony Davis and Damian Lillard and Clay Thompson, um, and also whilst uh, meeting a the entire Warner Brothers back catalogue of you know references out the wazoo of you know he goes to the Matrix and you know goes to Game of Thrones and so on and so forth. Superman's involved, um, so. It's uh, a, an extremely high-stakes game to try and win back his son. Now, I guess um, this film has had 
very negative reviews critically. I think we'd agree that like we can say that yeah. in general. It's been panned critically, but loved by audiences. Now, of course, I talked about this a little bit at the start of the last podcast. So if you heard that, you'll know my thoughts uh, in kind of a shorter point, you know, shorter version. Um, so uh, are you, and so I'll start off with, with you, Lewis, because we're, I guess people will be more curious about what you've got to say. Would you say you side more of the critics or the audience in terms of your opinions in Space Jam and your legacy? Well, it is really difficult because everything that the critics have said, I completely agree with. This is horrible. But I also completely agree with everything that the audience have said. This is... I, I, I don't care that it was awful and that it was bad because like, it was it was fun. Like, it was fun. People are saying, oh, the original was so much better. No, it wasn't. The only reason that people are saying the original was better is because of nostalgia. It came out when they were kids or when we were kids. Well, before we were born. But, you know, we watched it when we were kids or it came out when you were a kid. And people are blinded by nostalgia saying, like, oh, the first one was so good. As though the first one is a deep, insightful piece of, you know, auteur cinema. It's not. It's exactly the same thing. It's a cash Mm. grab Warner Brothers self-promo stupid ridiculous Looney Tunes film and that's what this is and they're both brilliant and they're both so much fun so I don't care that they're sh- that it's shit and that the acting is awful it was fun and I- I'm like 99% sure that most of the time I was laughing at Warner Brothers rather than with Warner Brothers and I was laughing at it rather than with it but regardless of what I was laughing at or who I was laughing at or why I was laughing and it was fun and it was it was genuinely f- fun and I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it and it was a lot. You know, I had a lot a good time watching it. I wasn't bored. I wasn't like waiting for yeah. it to end. It was. I mm. have overwhelmingly positive thoughts towards it, despite the fact that I agree with all of the negative reviews. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, again, I can say this last week. I guess I. I'm further, I'm, I'm, I've got an even more, con- I mean, that's semi-controversial what you said, because the kind of, again, it's been literally, I've heard people call it the mm. worst movie ever, yeah. um, which is a ridiculous statement, but yeah. I'm further thinking, I actually don't think this film is half as bad as it is made out, and I would say that a lot of critics are being overly harsh, I think that, I think of, of a lot of the people's opinions on the industry, on Warner Brothers, and on LeBron James, is further clouding their judgment that it would be not so necessarily negative in an otherwise situation. Case in point, LeBron James acting, which I think is not great, right? If mm. you know, if Tom jo- if Tom Jones, if Tom <laughs> Hanks came out of that performance, I wouldn't exactly have said you know he deserves an Oscar. But I think that LeBron James puts in a performance that I would say was entirely acceptable for a non-actor. I wouldn't say he was awful. I wouldn't say he was amazing. But I think he puts in a Completely average, middle of the road performance. He he struggles. He I think his line delivery is fine. He clearly struggles with emotion. Right, that's, that's what I was just about problem. to say. Yeah, or I completely that, that is... agree. He gave an average performance, apart from the scenes where he needed to be emotional. That they were yeah. like laughably bad, but everything yeah, else was perfectly should. fine. But I, I don't think that this is like he's awful. I, I have seen actors put in worse performances than he did. I don't think it was this unbelievably bad performance. I don't think he was that much... I think he's pretty much the same level as Jordan was. Yeah, exactly. The first yeah. Space Jam. They were, they, these two um, films are the same in terms of quality. 
It's just one of them came out years ago, so everyone loved it as a kid, and everyone is blinded by nostalgia, and now this one's coming out as the cheap rip-off. But in reality, they're exactly the same. They're not good, but they're fun and brilliant in completely different ways. You see, for me, you know, I think there are a number of boxes that I wanted this film to tick, and it essentially didn't drop us the ball at all. I thought it was... Yeah. I thought it was funny. I thought it was really funny. I think most of the time I was laughing with them. Most of the time. Of course, occasionally I was laughing at them. There were some things that were so ridiculous and stupid. And mm. why is that guy there? But I think in general, I think that it was funny. I thought it was, I was again surprised that it it was slightly self with A few jokes at LeBron's expense. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, I like the, the basketball references. And I like the, the creation of the characters around, you know, the way that, you know, um, Clay Thompson's the, the water stuff, or, or of course the most obvious one being Dame Time, you know, Damien Lillard has a like, time rate character, which is obviously what you do, because that's his nickname, but, you know, that, and, and making fun of Anthony Davis's unibrow and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, I thought, you know, he ticks all the boxes, and I, I got some, you know, people, uh, you, you could choose to go into to the, to the film in two different ways, and I think I'd have no problem with someone saying this. If there was a go cynic into it as a cynical way of like, this is a Warner Brothers, you know, back catalogue, self wank, cash grab, dot dot dot. They could say that and be really annoyed and and miserable about all the references. And I wouldn't necessarily say that was an awful thing. I'm not trying to stick up for a mega corporation here. But for myself, I took it on the chin as just like Haha, look, it's funny. You see LeBron talking to Superman. Haha, look, it's Bugs Bunny in, in the Matrix. And and that yeah. shit, I, that did it for me. I really, that ticked that box for me. I really, I like the, 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 the world of it. I thought it looked really good. I don't know what you think. I've heard very mixed things on the VFX. I thought it looked really good. I thought the VFX, VFX were a bit like, eh, at times. I think on the, in fact, no, I don't actually, ag- you're right. I don't agree with Jordan. Jordan says it might get an Oscar nom for VFX. I don't know if I, I don't get that far. Th- I don't think I'd go that far, but it, it, it could because the Oscars love things where you have animated yeah. people interacting with live action people. True. And True. these are really well animated cartoon characters. And I'm talking about when they're in the live action mode where they're not 2D anymore. Those live action animated completely animated 3d animation characters interact with live action people and pass animated objects to live action people that then become live action objects they do that flawlessly and the the oscars love that kind of thing so it, it could sneak in but it is a long shot but those vfx like i just said the the actual animation is great but a few of the times particularly cgi don Cheadle was a bit more iffy for me. I think yeah, that they, they, they made it look too much like Don Cheadle. I think, like, I, I don't know any of the other basketball players, but they all look right. like caricatures of people. Cartoon versions. Yeah. yeah, whereas the Don Cheadle one looked like it was trying to look like Don Cheadle rather than a caricature of Don Cheadle. And I think it actually, did have gone an- down Anthony that route. Davis, Anthony Davis is actually half bird, actually, in real life. He's <laughs> half He's half eagle, actually. <laughs> But oh, and the water animation, the water guy, that was really good as well. Yeah, so I, I genuinely can see it sneaking into the Oscars and surprising everyone. But yeah, I don't know. I don't it know also it wouldn't surprise far, me if it didn't. Yeah, I, I, like, I don't I, think it'll well, win. The way it looked in terms of like, the world creation and the the world inside the, the 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 computer simulation when they flying about between the Game of Thrones world and the Harry Potter world. Yeah, that was I, pretty good. I thought that looked really good. Yeah, and in the day. I just loved. I just loved it. I loved the, the 
the references and all of it. I loved going back to Harry Potter and you yeah. know. And I loved. I just loved it all. I really loved it. I even loved the Mad Max Fury Road bit. That bit um, was great. I did love the Mad Max bit. Even me could. I could deal with. I could yeah. put aside my hatred <laughs> for five minutes. Um, and the, the the one there's a few few weird things. Like I'm really pleasantly surprised they have a Casablanca scene in there. Yeah. Like I was like, who is this for? <laughs> this is a kids film, and this is this is a kids film. I will say. I think this yeah. this is people argue about. I think this is directed toward towards kids that like basketball. I think that yeah. takes them out the boxes. The general 12 to 15 or 10 to 15 year old American population, this is what this film is aimed at. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, I consume so much media that, you know, I'm a big basketball fan and also I'm a slave to intellectual properties that the Warner Bros. have. So, <laughs> you know, it kind of, I tick those boxes. Yeah. But, you know, like, you know, having a Casablanca reference is so out there yeah, um, and, but I really liked it. it as like a little nod to you know real you know proper traditional cinema. Yeah, I thought it was a nice little touch. I agree. I like I liked it a lot. Um, yeah, but there were there were a lot of weird decisions. Like Stephen Yen was in it for like yes thirty yes. seconds, and I was like, yeah. oh Stephen Yen's in this. He's gonna you know this character's gonna show up again. Never showed up again. Yeah. What. What what was Stephen Yen? How much did they pay Stephen Yen to do that? What did he owe Warner Brothers? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I I really like this is what I'm talking about where I was laughing at Warner Brothers where there'd be a scene and the Warner Brothers logo would just be in the background constantly throughout the scene, and it's like we know this is a Warner Brothers film. You don't need to have your logo in the background constantly in a scene while people are talking. <laughs> Yeah, and it was just like those kind of bits, and the fact that there was, um, you know, there were loads of Warner Brothers posters everywhere, and obviously that kind of makes sense because they're they were at Warner Brothers headquarters, but they like the the camera focused on them and and had them there and framed it so that they were in the shot in focus, yeah. and it was like this is just a bit like laughably self referential. Um, but I didn't particularly, like, when I was talking about laughing at it, I wasn't particularly talking about, like, them interacting with Batman or something. I did like that. I enjoyed that. Um, and, yeah, I just, I had a lot. This was a blast. It was so much fun. Yeah, and if, if really you hate was. this, then you're just cynical. Like, yeah, I don't I, understand yeah. how you can hate this and say that, that I, I did. I can like... understand thinking that this is bad, but I can't understand yes. someone who watches this and didn't have fun, who didn't enjoy themselves. Most people that are into film, most critics don't like films. It's they just, are, they yeah, just they're cynical. There's so much enjoyment in hating films. Yeah. It's just a fucking blast. There are so many, uh, you know, there are so many characters in the background of the, in, the, in, the, in the game. Yeah, weirdly you know, like, the Clockwork Orange so people fun. are there as well. The people yeah, from Clockwork Orange. <laughs> I think I read it out of the podcast last week. That's my review on Letterboxd. It's like, <laughs> R.I.P. Stanley Kubrick, you would have loved the Clockwork Orange rapists <laughs> cheering on the Toon Squad. It's like they've got the the the, the droogs from Orange. They've got fucking um, the masks in there. Like fucking, um, there's like like kind of regular characters like fucking um, the main character from fucking Wild Wild West. And there's like three yeah. different Jokers. There's like the yeah. There's like the Jack Nicholson. There's like the Jack Nicholson Joker, and there's like the fucking modern Joker as well. It's like the Jared Leto one or whatever. Yeah. And there's fucking. Yeah, it's mad, and and there's fucking. It's that was so fun, like the interactive part part of it, where I was like looking yeah. behind, I was like, oh look, I can see a Flintstones character. Oh look, King Kong see. was there as well. Yeah, which yeah, is King strange Kong because there. King Kong's in the public domain, so why would they put him like front and center, make him massive, and give him like 
and a scene where he does something, not just have him there. Because I think it's just it's just it is cool. Know, I guess patting it's patting their 2005 version on the back. Yeah, true. But, oh, that's true. Yeah, um, it wasn't just King Kong. It was that yeah. King Kong. That's true. Yeah, it was 2015's King. 2005's King Kong. The Peter yeah, Jackson King that's Kong. That's true. It was that specific um, King Kong. Yeah, as I said, as I said in the last podcast, I watched it with my friends, and and we were kind of cheering and jumping and celebrating, you know, in a quiet way that wasn't obnoxious. Yeah. But like, you know, I, I was, you know, I I I was dabbing with um with oh, LeBron gosh. and. <laughs> and you know, it was just we were all having the fun, taking the piss out of it, and enjoying it together. And it was just like it was just such an event. It was event cinema. Um, and you know, I wouldn't have missed. I saw it on opening day, and it was a pretty packed cinema. I wouldn't have missed it for the world, man. It was just such a fun time. It, it reminded me just what I love about you know that kind of the, the kind of old school comedy of like Looney Tunes that, that got us all yeah. into, to, into into animation and into film and stuff. And it reminded me why I love you know LeBron, and it's just. And all those individual properties, I just thought it was an absolute blast. And I think that, you know, I go a bit further than you. So I think a lot of the criticism is a bit too harsh. Um, yeah. Of, yeah. It just it ticked all the boxes. Now, interesting was going to be going on to the ratings because you could, I could still, I could see you being extremely positive and giving it a four, or being really positive and giving it an eight. And <laughs> I'm going to say four. I'm giving this an eight out of ten. That's a bold thing. A lot of people say if literally a film's been required, talked about as the worst film ever and stuff. I, it just did everything I wanted it to and more. I loved every second of it. For me, it's an 8 out of 10 film and I'll stand above and say I enjoyed that film more than so many films I've come out this year. Yeah. So I'm going to give that an 8 out of 10. Uh, that makes complete sense to me because you enjoyed it slightly more than I did and I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. So yeah. That's fine. Yeah, well, we, There probably isn't that many people that have reviewed this film know, yeah. publicly <laughs> the on, now a showing podcast. on a podcast. Publicly, That's, we've actually found two Space people Jam. that are on their own. We didn't see this together or anything. No, you know, we didn't talk about this until now. We haven't colluded. Two people here have given <laughs> Space yeah. Jam two a seven and eight. We've got to be the only. As I said, the only film that I remember that I've got this much actual enjoyment from in the cinema this year was uh, Cruella. Those mm. two have been the most fun films for me. But well, wait you know, till you I, see Deer Skin. Yeah, no, <laughs> sure, but um, yeah, like. But a lot of my favourite yeah. films this year have been tough watches and, and like a lot of you know like stuff like Judas About Messiah or, or The Father yeah. they're, they're films that are in a way tough to watch despite being so good yeah um, like so, if you said to yeah, me yeah. Hey, would I rather watch Space Jam 2 or The Father tomorrow I'd pick Space Jam 2 I have this over One Night in Miami I have this over Malcolm and Marie yeah. Black Widow uh, News of the World you know like not Nomadland crucially I noticed Pieces of Woman. Not Nomadland, though. Not Nomadland. Crucial. Nomadland did move down a place, though, because I have Fear Street Part 3 over it. But, yeah. Nomadland is at 16. Oh, and Loki as well. So, Nomadland is at 16 on the year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. We'll see how old fits into that as well. Because we're now going to be talking about... Oh, yes. Man of the Match. Sorry. Oh, Sorry, yeah. I forgot that. We need to do Man of the Match for Space Jam 2. Sorry. I apologise to everyone. I apologise to our, our listeners in South Africa. What are we going for... <laughs> For South African now showing fans, please get in contact, man. I want to know who you are and why you're How do you find me? Four percent of our audience are in South Africa. <laughs> I don't understand why you um, want to, to just, listen to this. If you're not one of our friends, why are you listen yeah. to this shit? And to, to put that into perspective, there's four percent, and then the the smallest demographic after that is less than one percent. So South Africa, yeah. you are our third biggest country. Please, yeah, reach out. Yeah. yeah. 
So, uh, <laughs> who's your man of match for Space Jam and New Legacy? This is actually a tough one, I think. It is it's a tough one. It's directed by Malcolm D. Lee, who took over the project after Terence N- uh, Nance left. Which yeah, is actually very I feel like we should. To the original. Yeah, I feel like we should point out that this was like horrible to so many people. There are so many VFX artists that were just not credited for the work that they did, and the director. Oh, really? Yeah, there are loads of VFX artists that went to see it or have watched it on HBO Max that have been like, you know, my kids were really excited to see a film that I worked on and then their names just weren't in the credits. Like, they've been completely ignored by Warner Brothers. And then the director Mm. had never seen the original Space Jam until three days before they started shooting this because he was replaced last minute. Oh, sorry, he replaced the original director last minute. Um, So Warner Brothers are just horrible, especially to so many people in this film. Um, Right. But, yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. So, who oh, yeah, are you looking match. towards on Man of the Match? It is difficult, because like I said, as much as I had fun, there was there was a lot wrong with it. But Don Cheadle was just constantly... You could tell he was having fun with it, and he was enjoying himself, and he was just being stupid. And I really enjoyed that. John Don Cheadle was giving it his all. And considering that he's like one of only like maybe three adults who have consistent roles in this. It's mainly just him and LeBron James. I think he right. uh, he gets it for me. Um, for being the greatest basketball player of all time, I've decided to give my man of the match to LeBron James. That is... I've not... I'm not doing that, actually. Oh, right. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> I was going to say, that, um... is a, that is certainly a, a decision that you've made. <laughs> well, I talked about very well. I love the the references and the world credit, and he wouldn't have been able to do that without VFX that I thought stood up throughout. Um, so I'm That's going true. to give it. You said there's an awful lot of VFX artists that weren't credited. I've got three names here: uh, David Sheldon Hicks, Franklin Akiki, and Caesar Rodriguez Batista. And you three um, could share the coveted now showing Man Match Award from Sam Houston. So, yeah. Not for so that that's um, a Space Jam and your legacy, and now we're into the big film of the week. We are in to talk about old, which is the new M Night Shyamalan film. Of course, if you're unfamiliar with the name, you'll probably won't be unfamiliar with the work. Um, he directed films that have been as praised as highly as the likes of The Sixth Sense, Split, uh, and Unbreakable. He's also released films that have been trashed and hated on as much as the likes of After Earth and The Last Airbender and The Village. So he's, of course, a director that is controversial, um, full of twists, of course. He's, he's consistently full of twists, but controversial and diversive and, um, I dare, you know, if he was to be negative, you could say inconsistent with the fact that he had films that have been loved as much as, as The Sixth Sense and hated as much as The Last Airbender. Um, now... Of course, um, I'm sure a lot of people um, would have come to this film, uh, much as I did, and I probably imagine that you probably would have, with a mixture of anticipation and kind of fear that it, you know, it could be so good because the films he's made before and it could be so bad. I'm, I'm assuming that's probably a feeling that came from your mind as well. Yeah, definitely. He's, yeah. Uh, I'm not a massive M. Night fan, but um, I, yeah. I, I was concerned that this would be horrific. The right. Best. Okay. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, but yeah, of course. And you know, um, th- from a plot point of view, um, this film 
is uh, around, um, centered around a, a family that um, starring the, the two uh, parents are played by Gail Garcia Bernal and Vicky Kreeps. Um, and they have a, a, a mother and father who have taken the two children to a tropical holiday resort uh, whilst they're dealing with marital issues. Um, they see they bring their two young children, I believe, aged something along the lines of six and 12 or something, like that, I think. Um, or six, six and 11, I think. Um, they go to, they, they take them uh, to this resort and everything's, you know, done for them. You know, all they know, all the drinks they want. It's all, they get proper luxury. And then they go down to a beach and meet a number of other families. And suddenly they all start to age at a rapid rate. Now, now that's the, the general premise of the film. Now, are you at first on Space Jam? So I think I'm going to go first on Old. Now, I'm very curious with your thoughts of Old because I've heard very mixed thoughts from people. I've heard people panning it. I've heard critics loving it. I've heard audiences loving it. I've heard critics hating it, etc, etc. Now, let me have a breather because I've got a lot to say about this. Now, I want to preface this review by saying that I do not think necessarily that the actors that portray these characters in these films, I don't think the actors are bad actors necessarily. I don't think they're necessarily bad at their jobs. Um, I just want to get that out before some of the things I'm going to say coming up. Now, Old is an unbelievable and complete disappointment of a film. I had an... I had such unbelievable anticipation for this film. Such an intri uh, intriguing concept. Uh, one of the most, you know, eye-catching posters and and very very strong trailers that I've seen from a film coming out in in the kind of recent times. And again, the poster is still excellent. Um, you've taken a concept that is so intriguing, is so interesting, and completely bastardized it with some of the worst acting I've ever seen in a Hollywood film. There are people here that I think are, I've seen in other things that, that actors, listed actors includes the likes of Rufus Sewell and Thomas and McKenzie and Lisa Scanlon. Now I'll talk about those people individually in the future. In the, but some of the worst acting I think I've ever seen. I mean, genuinely awful, genuinely dreadful from a lot of very good actors, in, especially the likes of, of Ken Lung um, and, and Gail Garcia Bernal. Uh, just genuinely, you know, I'm not saying they're bad actors because I'm sure they've had good, done something good career, and I'm sure I've seen you know some of them in any of the things. But I, I cannot believe that it was got to a point where someone allowed M. Night Shyamalan to create this, and the editor didn't say what's going on with the acting here. The writing is so ridiculous. The writing is so childlike and unrealistic and basic and and straight, and you know, it's so strange it's like someone's written a second language or they're a child i mean i think you know i'm not going to retrospectively trash a much Man's career i don't think he's an awful director i very much like split but he's done his best work writing for people who are other children which i thought the writing for the kids wasn't noticeably bad um, but the writing for children and he's written with somebody you know with a severe mental disability but obviously it has these kind of super um, exaggerated versions of each personality when he's writing for people that are kind of portrayed as societally normal adults, it come it just it's un I can't believe that someone didn't make him rewrite this. It's it's uh, it's unbelievable. It's it's stupid. It's 
so blatantly not what someone would talk like. I mean, there is this there's this excellent film in here somewhere. There's this wonderful concept and and a beautiful location that that really could lead to something being really amazing. And there's this the, the allegorical nature of it and what it speaks to. You know, it really really could be a great film done in a million different ways. You know, the, the kind of character of, of the vanity of this one character and and how she she is so self obsessed whilst having to deal with kind of everything that she wants in life being ripped away from her as she ages. You know, that's not really a spoiler. That's kind of the basic premise of the film. Yeah, it's an excellent concept. And what they do with that character could be so good, but it comes out in just such a monumentally dreadful way. Um, I, I I could, when I walked out of the cinema, I kind of just couldn't believe what I'd seen there. It's just such a, a low kind of quality. From a, a production point of view, the cinematography, you know, there's this kind of mixture of this passive cinematography, these, these wide beaches and long shots that looks beautiful. And then that's intercut with... I guess the cinematography that's that's over the top and, and and confusing and these random point of view shots thrown in and these random spinning shots around characters it feels like someone's just got out of film school and wants to show off all their new tricks. I mean, I feel bad for Rufus Sewell here who puts in a genuinely decent performance and tries to spice up a ridiculously poor script with as much passion and emphasis that he can do and it, but it feels like towards as his character progresses he's forced more and more into a situation where he just can't carry it anymore and he's one of the only people i think truly stands out um i, I you know i'm a big fan of elisa scanlon baby teeth my favorite film halfway into the film you know because the aging system she plays an older version of one of the children i was kind of terrified oh no elisa scanlon's gonna be here and she's gonna be shit and she's think I thought she was fine. She didn't have that much, and she only had a few scenes. But I didn't think she did anything bad. I think she was she was decent. I, you know, I, you know, obviously the aging system is you never see one character for too long. But but Thomas and Mackenzie is an actress that I think is you know an excellent and so good so good in Jojo Rabbit and from what we've seen in, in Last Night in Soho. But she here just she doesn't stink it up as much as other people do, but really doesn't put in a performance that is comparable to what she's done before. Um, you know, again, it's just. It's so annoying because it's. I know what I could have gotten. I know that I, I wanted this film so much. I wanted the ideas, and there's some really good ideas. And even later on, there's some good ideas. But there's so many stupid plot decisions thrown in there as well. Some of the actions of the characters later on is laughable. I think that the ending is probably one of the bits of the film I didn't despise as much because it it kind of started to sort itself out and it it wasn't so over the top and you know you didn't necessarily see some of the worst acting the ending kind of wrapped things up in a, in a way that I thought was acceptable but it really didn't do enough to you know tie up and to, to do enough to, to to salvage just yeah one the most definitely the most disappointing film of the year and genuinely one of the worst films of the year i it's a film about how quickly time moves and it moves so slowly it's a film about how time moves ridiculously quick and it stops still after about 20 minutes and doesn't start up for another hour it's unbelievably slow it's unbelievably boring and again the main thing is the writing and the acting is as poor as anything you'll see from blockbuster cinema genuinely dreadful Whew. that is interesting now i have to have a second there are thoughts i've got that i've forgotten <laughs> to say I'm going to have to have a breather. I'll let you talk about the film and I'll come back to it and say some more issues if I can think of them because I do remember having more. But yeah, you go ahead. Right, well, I watched this film and I think I, I'm not a huge fan of M. Night Shyamalan. I'm not particularly familiar with a lot of his. I've not seen everything that he's done. I've seen his big films, but I've not seen much. 
and a lot of it's good, a lot of it's bad, went into this, genuinely had no idea what to expect, genuinely didn't have high hopes or low hopes or anything, I just thought, I'll go and watch it, see what it is, no idea what to expect, knew, obviously knew the concept, knew what to expect plot-wise, and I think that this concept is one of the most interesting things mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. This is Completely an agree. unbelievably good and juicy concept. And the plot, the way that this uh, film tells that concept, I think is really, really good. And I think the story of having all of these different people who don't know each other, who have to get to know one another and have to work together to figure out what's going on, I think that's done really, really well. And I think that this has incredible direction. And I disagree with you on the cinematography. I think I loved the cinematography and the direction. I think it was very stylized. So I'm not surprised that a lot of people don't like it. I'm not surprised that you don't like it. But I really liked it. I don't think it was bad. I think it was stylized. And I understood why they were making these decisions. I understood why it went from, you know, the beach and the water almost felt like a character of its own Um you know, with these huge wide shots that they had of the beach, kind of made it feel sentient, like the beach is actively doing this to them. And I I won't uh, spoil anything, this isn't a spoiler, this is just what I was thinking as I was watching it. Um, You know, those big shots made it feel like the beach was a character, not just the place and the location. And then those uptight, really close-ups, emphasise that these are people, these aren't just, you know random people on a beach these are people that have personalities and they have emotions and they have thoughts and there were a few really weird shots where you know it was like they had a gopro on a helmet um but other than that i think the cinematography was really interesting really stylized i think m night Shyamalan is a, a genuinely incredibly talented director however this is if not the one of the worst screenplays i have ever had the displeasure to sit through Mm. Mm -hmm. within the first 30 seconds this isn't a spoiler but within the first 30 seconds there are three ham-fisted references to aging and i rolled my eyes three times and i was like oh god this is awful within the first there's a line in here Uh, i'll just talk about a screenplay there's a line in here where they go she goes to to, to, uh, there's a fight between the husband and the and the wife and he goes it literally feels like it's written by a fucking. Um, <laughs> it feels like it's in. It, it feels like it's in the room or something. It feels like it's a Tommy Wiseau line. He, he goes, "Oh, all, he goes." Um, and she goes, "All you do is talk about the future." And she, he goes, oh. "All you do is talk about the past. You work in a museum." Yeah, I'm like what are you fucking hell? It's <laughs> awful. It's so it, you know, it's, like, it's, it's so horrible. It's like he's not writing in English. Yeah, it is. It's like this is. It's like someone has written a great screenplay and then put it through Google Translate and then translated it back into English, and it's mm. just all muddled. Because in the opening line, in the opening thirty seconds, someone you know the daughter's singing and the mother says, "Oh, I can't wait to hear your voice when you're older." And I was oh, like, "Oh Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ!" And then yeah. two seconds later, the boy says, "Oh, I really want to scuba dive." And the dad goes, "You have to wait until you're older to do that. You're too young." And I was like, "Oh Jesus Christ!" And then two seconds after that, the mum says, "Stop wishing away your years." And I was like, "Oh Jesus Christ! It's nonstop. It's literally yeah. nonstop." And it, this yeah. is genuinely a disgusting screenplay. This is the worst screenplay. I've, it's like it's written by a child. <laughs> it's like it's written by a. Uh, Tommy not, Wiseau. Not, not even Tommy Wiseau. It's like it's written by a, a high school kid 
who's been forced to do media studies and who has to write a short film. It's genuinely yeah. horrific. You know, in my opinion, the best directors know what they're good at and they know their talents. Scorsese, Spielberg, incredible directors, two of the best, but they know that they can't write, so they don't write their own screenplays. J.J. Abrams is a great director, but he can't write, but he writes his own screenplays and he has the same issues, but they're not as bad as this film particularly. So many directors who think they can write a screenplay as well as they can direct a screenplay really just need to sit back and go, you know what, I'm going to let someone else write. And I think Zack Snyder is another one. Zack Snyder is an incredible director, but he needs to let someone else write his scripts. And M. Night Shyamalan is like that as well. He needs to just say, someone else take this concept that I've come up with or I've adapted from a novel or a screen... uh, a graphic novel or graphic something novel. Yeah. Um, and you write the screenplay and I'll direct it you know and I think so many directors I think even to an extent I think Nolan needs to let someone else write his script because he can't write good a lot of good characters he can have one good protagonist and then everyone else is just a bit iffy I think he needs to bring in a co-writer and I think so many directors have this issue and the thing that sets the great directors aside from the the eh meh directors are that they know what they're good at and that's why Scorsese never writes his own screenplays Spielberg never writes his own screenplays and M. Night just needs to let someone else write his screenplays because this screenplay really really dragged this film down like I said I loved the direction I loved the cinematography I loved the plot I loved the story that it told I loved the story beats that happened specifically that I won't get into because of spoilers until we do a spoiler section and I actually thought the acting was okay. I thought that the reason the acting is really? so—I think the reason the acting, the acting is—I thought the reason the acting is so bad is because of the screenplay. I don't think yeah, any no, think human could help. make these lines sound good. Yeah, but I think Rufus it reminds Sewell me of the. Does to a degree, though. I think Rufus I think, still really battles with the script and actually makes it good. I think the main the, one of the big one of the many infinite problems with this disaster of a film in inverted commas is. You know, the, the, they've got two major characters, the, the guy and Prisca, the main two characters. Yeah. And the the performances, even with the script, from Gael Garcia Bernal and, and Vicky Creeps, really just so the the line delivery. You know, it doesn't. Yeah. You know, but the, this is the issue. It's them two really can't hold the picture. I, them two are I, not. I, I don't want for being the major characters. I disagree. I don't want to blame them. I don't want to blame the actors because. I think not only is this screenplay horrific and it would take an incredible actor, I don't think Meryl Streep could make this sound good, but so it would take an ungodly actor to make this sound good. Not only are they not like up there with Meryl Streep or Viola Davis, but they're reading the script and acting in, I'm almost certain, their second language. They're not acting in their first language well, and yeah, the screenplay is, is horrific. Yeah, I'm talking about the two protagonists, the, oh. the mum and the dad. Uh, oh wait, she's not. She's not English. I thought she was English. She's not. She's no, not I think English. she's um, she's from she's Europe somewhere, somewhere in Europe. She's from Luxembourg. Oh, Luxembourg, yeah. Um, yeah. So these they're not acting in their first language, and they're the protagonist. And the fact that they're not acting in their first language, and it's a horrible screenplay, really emphasizes the the acting and I don't think anyone could make this sound good especially if you're doing it in your second language so I really yes. don't want to blame but the actors I do actors. think there are people but there are people I think, as I say I keep saying I think there are people that, that do this better than others 
again, I think Rufus Sewell is until very late on, and his character is unredeemable. Yeah, he he, I think he puts in a good performance. Um, maybe I'm my I'm getting my vision blurred by bias, but I think that Lisa Scanlon hasn't got much to do. Um, and yeah. there's only one scene that she was particularly bad, but she does a monologue that I think was kind of decent, and she kind of think I think a few times there's mo- a few monologues in this film that aren't particularly bad. Um, yeah. when it comes to screenwriting, but it's it's the normal dialogue. It's like an alien has vaguely analysed how humans speak to each other, and I haven't really gone into it. It's like so basic. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's not no conversation. But I think I, I think that the acting in general is really poor. I, I I will disagree on that, and I think there are different examples. For example, of why I think that you'd screenplay, you know, to play into your point of view. I'll tell you why. The, one of the big reasons is Thomas and Mackenzie, of course, like her being so visibly poor, mm. you know, in a lot of points, you think, okay, it's got to be the screenplay because Thomas and Mackenzie isn't a bad actress. Of course, she's not. Yeah. But she isn't good here. She isn't good here. There are, there's, uh, the effects used to age people up are, c- are cool. They're done well. Yeah. I think that, you know, and I think the cinematographer who plays in that as well, like the, the clip that got shared beforehand where it's shot in a really, really awkward way to hide the fact that the children have aged other than their voices that we can obviously hear. But when it, it's shot from behind the kids, you can't see the kids and it's really unconventional. And there are a lot of shots like that that I really enjoyed and I think are actually see, really stylized and I, I really I, liked it. I don't necessarily disagree. Because I said this film has this kind of two, it's like a, it's kind of bipolar in its cinematography because it has that passive cinematography like that where it has a nice, a lot of nice shots of of, of the characters and the scenes in the cave are shot very well, um, and that you know those scenes from behind. It's whenever it, the, the camera starts moving and it does it so often, and it's just, I, I appreciate the concept, but it doesn't work. And I think the the POV shots of of Rufus running feel so out of place. That's the only like one. Charles that's... That's, that's the only really one that I'd say is no. That that's the only one I'd agree with and say that that is bad. But other than but that, there are, there I think it, it works. There, there, there are people in a circle, and it's the camera spinning round them for ages, and it's I just vomit-inducing. No, I, I, really I, I don't think so. I think it works. I think it, it worked for me, and I really enjoyed the cinematography. And like I said, I really enjoyed the directing. I think M Night Shyamalan is a, a really amazing director, and I think he is. I agree. He, I think that's he is one I'm of the so best directors. But it's just yeah. the writing drags this down so badly. But I, I, everything else, I loved. I loved it. I really thoroughly enjoyed this film. Um, and after a while, I kind of just accepted that the dialogue was horrific and kind of got on board with it. And I enjoyed it. But I, I, I can't say that this was a good film because solely because of the screenplay being as bad as it as it is, it, it's genuinely bad. They they don't let you as the audience do any thinking whatsoever. If there is something, they explain it to you in painstaking detail, regardless yeah. of the circumstances. If it's a very stressful mm-hmm. situation, there's always a character there who will say, "Hang on a second, let me just explain to you what." this means the implications of what's just happened let me explain to you um and it doesn't let you do any of the thinking all of the brain work is done for you in a horrible way it's it's i just honestly can't go over how horrible the screenplay is but other than that i i I loved it i thought the concept is so fascinating And, and the way that they execute the concept in ways other than the dialogue is great and you know 
I don't think the acting was as bad as you're making it out to be. I think it was acceptable acting from everyone. Nothing, you know, great. And, you know, it's not going to win any awards for any of the actors. But I, I thought that the acting was okay from everyone. And obviously, like I said, I think it's got kind of the same issues as the Star Wars prequels where it takes someone to be fully on board with how stupid it is to make it sound reasonable. Um, and it's like Hayden Christensen isn't a bad actor, but in the Star Wars prequels, he gives horrible performances because the screenplay and his dialogue is so bad. And I think that is what happens in this. And I don't think we should blame the actors. I think that this is that every single issue I have with this film is because of the screenplay. But the I issue with that worse. I is think, the fact that the screenplay the is the, the anchor of the film. You don't have a film without a screenplay or a script or words. And this the screenplay just drags everything down but I still I, I I loved everything else about it everything else about it was fantastic I feel like this is a stupid person's impression of what a smart film's like and I've said that before about Inception which is probably a, a harsher thing than this yeah um, it, I, I, I don't think that the, the concept in a basic sense is really smart but he mm. keeps throwing little caveats and stupid little things at you and some awful plot decisions in throughout and, and enough plot holes to, you know, like, you know, just so many strange decisions from characters and from the world and and, and a, a kind of big twist, you know, he's known for his twist, a big twist that is, you know, unimportant. I'm conf- I don't care. I don't know why I'd want to care. I'll tell you, they're, they're, this is a, sm- a small thing and this is a minor, minor spoiler. But at one point, you know, when everyone's ageing... Um, the mum goes deaf in one ear, right? That's that's not a big spoiler at all. I, I, she puts I hope hand, I know what you're going to say. And I she puts her hand that. over her ear and I don't know what you're going to say. It probably is what I'm saying. She puts her hand over her ear and you can, or you can realise that she's, she's deaf in one ear or whatever. And it's kind of spinning around her and, and thing. And I thought, I don't fucking care. I don't fucking care. Every people, people are dying around you and people are having these problems and, and you know, why would I care that you're lost hearing. You can still hear oh. people. It's not like you're fully deaf. I don't see why I'm supposed to give a shit. I'm thinking, I don't fucking care. Fuck I don't off. think that. Stop I don't think that was the point time. with it. I don't think that was the point of it to make you feel sorry for her. I just think it was the point out that she's aging. Like with this I is also I another minor but spoiler. Know, but we know they're aging. I know, but, but to show I, the extent they're, that they're aging care. because they're adults. You you can't see it as visual as you can with the children. But showing that she's deaf, it, it wasn't necessarily oh you need to feel sympathy for her now. It's just the case of it's not that you her aging has progressed. It's like the same with the husband, the dad who uh, whose vision starts to blur it's not necessarily oh we feel sorry for them now it's just oh they're aging even more rapidly now can you do fine do it in a way that doesn't take fucking half a minute of my time away i just no i i like the way that give me a line of dialogue or something i really i was thinking this fucking film is dragging more than anything i don't care if she's lost her hearing it's such a minor thing i'm like so what it's one here like i don't care i don't know loads of things i don't think i think the the plot, I think that there is, again, there's a great concept in there, but even with the exact same plot beats, I don't think, you know, I don't think Scorsese or Kubrick could have adapted the same plot beats. There are so many stupid decisions here. I, I, people have, I've heard people that have liked this film say that it's, it's a great B-movie. You need to see it as a great B-movie. He's today's Ed Wood, right? <laughs> Ed Wood is famous for being shit. Everybody, people appreciate them. <laughs> But they also hate the films as well. Like people mm. might love them in a certain way, but people do acknowledge that Plan Life from Outer Space is the worst film ever made. It's not mm. like the that people are going, well, yeah, we'll, we'll give him a bit of leeway. 
No, we don't give a bit of leeway. People say people talk about him because he's famously bad. To give this film good reviews and say he's a modern day Ed Wood is a contradiction in terms. Also, and also, I'd like Ed Wood to get 10 million, 18 million pound budgets because Ed Wood also had about 12 quid in his bank account. That's the whole point of why his films are so overambitious. So, no, he's not a modern day Ed Wood. He's a modern day Night Shyamalan, and that's an, an an insult after the last, you know, two of the three of the last films he's made. You know, Split was a major major blip in a career that's been going downhill for a while i just again i don't think he's necessarily a bad director but he's a bad filmmaker because he doesn't know his own limitations it's like yeah. you said about his screaming he, he can write for kids and he can write with people that are you know they, they are comical over the top he can't write for normal humans mm. it, uh, it's just i i agree so with you there. he's a great director just, but he's not a great filmmaker because he doesn't know what he can and can't do um but what I, a frustrating, disappointing do, shit show of a ride for me, man. I really, I do, really despise this film. I do, I do disagree with so much of what you've just said, though. I think all of those things that you said, all, I, I love all of the plot points, like her going deaf in one ear and, and the husband that's losing not his a vision. Plot point. That's not really what I'm on about, though. That's, that, I wouldn't describe that as a plot point. That's, oh, well, yeah, that's more of a true. little touch, but I, I'll say more when we talk about spoilers in a second. But Yeah, but things like that, like her going deaf, I think it's a really smart way to show that ageing isn't just visual it's you know things happen to your brain things happen to your body you can't do the same things that you used to be able to do and her going deaf it was um i think a really good way to show that she's aging not necessarily not necessarily to make you feel sorry for her but a good way to show that she's aging and i think the way that they showed that as well especially because the camera's spinning around as she turns around i think that's a really interesting visual way to express that as well and and i i really enjoyed it like i say the only thing i would say i didn't like about the direction or the cinematography was that point of view shot of the the guy running that was weird that was out of place but everything else i thought i thought was great i thought the cinematography was great in this actually well the film succeeded um because much like the beach i felt about 100 years older after (laughs) having to sit through the two hours that this film was um okay so if you want to see old and you you know of Matt, you know, want to, to watch it without getting any spoilers um, do so now it's in cinemas now and it will be for the next couple of weeks so I'll be with a spoiler warning here um, and then we'll come back to it um, you know we'll come back to do our rating and our man the match at the end um, but you know we're talking about plot points here so spoilers are starting now I mean I think that again the concept in its kind of most basic form the, you know, the beach getting older is kind of smart but I think that he's trying to throw so many things, and, and maybe the graphic novel does it better. Uh, but like the oh yeah, if you leave, you you know you've got no, you know you get no, you you get you knocked out, and you know the the stuff with uh, it's like oh yeah, they've, it actually turns out that you've all got um, different medical problems, and oh yeah, but there's this coral that saves you, and oh yes, there's and oh yeah, he wrote me wrote me a letter, and oh yeah, like he just keeps throwing little kind of different details at you over and over, and just kind of. You don't. You, you never have to learn anything. You never expect anything. There's no twist that you. Uh, it's just they just you know they completely you know spoon feed you all of it. And I necessarily I think that so much of it is um, unnecessary, right? Like I think you know the um, the kind of the the overexplained ending is unnecessary. And I think I think you could have left it a lot more confusing and let much up to your you know the film. This film obviously wants to be deep, and this film obviously wants to be about you know the, the kind of core. Cool, you know, messages of the inevitability of aging and, and kind of the, you know, the, the, you know, chasing death and all this kind of the way that your body ages and the way that your mind ages and kind of the differences behind it. And, you know, there's, there's um, uh, some narrative on parenting itself and all that stuff. 
But it doesn't let you, as he said, it doesn't let you think, like you said, because it just throws all these kind of sci-fi concepts at you one after another. And I don't think that, you know, so many of them, like, with the ending, it was like, oh, yeah, by the way, it turns out that he he wrote me a message I didn't, didn't decipher. I haven't mentioned that before. I decided to just think about it now. By the way, let's go build a sandcastle. You you die, you're getting a, a you're aging ten years every fifteen seconds, mate. Why are you building a fucking sandcastle? But anyway, they just throw all these little little details at you. It's like I, I'm not shocked by anything, but it's not because I'm never given the time to be shocked by anything. I don't have any expectation, and I think it really, as I said, it over explains everything to the point where those those kind of sci-fi decisions just seem ridiculous. I'd rather this film was less explained and let more conceptual. Yeah, I agree. It, it is definitely over-explained. And every, I remember everyone was talking about the twist, the twist, the twist. I didn't... I don't know whether it was just me, but I thought it was kind of obvious. Like, all of these yeah. people, when they got together and they were like, oh, we all have different medical conditions. And I was like, oh, right. That's why they're all there. Yeah. And then when it got... When they confirmed the twist that it was all about drug trials, I was like, yeah, that makes complete sense. Yes. Not, I don't mean like it makes sense ethically. I mean like that makes sense. Yeah, to, yeah, 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 yeah. Like yeah. that's not a surprise at all. And weirdly, when I came out of the film, I read a review, um, of, and it said the plot twist will leave you haunted for days. And I was like, what? This film left me haunted for days. <laughs> but they were like the plot twist, the sequence where you find yeah, the plot twist what? will leave you haunted for days. And I was like, what? No. What is nothing. the plot twist? Is the plot twist that you the find out? The plot twist out is that they're, they're, they've been put on the beach on purpose. The hotel that's not, knows that they, the beach they ages you. And it's like, yeah. yeah, that's not a huge plot twist. And I think that's also an issue with M. Night Shyamalan's writing. He's become the plot twist guy. And he's so focused on giving people a plot twist that he's not bothered about giving people a good or convincing plot twist. He's just bothered about having something where you can go, oh, this is different from what you expected, to the point where it's become a gimmick and a novelty, and it's not a genuine good plot twist like in The Sixth Sense. Sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, and so many parts of this film that I... Tiny little moments that I loved where they just expressed the, the fact that you know, time, well, time doesn't work any differently. It's your cells aging. Aging works differently on the beach. Like when um, they had the baby and the baby died because they left it on a towel for a minute and a minute is like days and it died from neglect. I was like, oh, that's a really interesting way to show the fact. That's a really interesting way to show the fact that, you know, um, time and, and aging works differently you can't just leave a baby on a towel for a minute because to a baby that's days a baby can't survive with no interaction for days um, and I think that's a really interesting way to do it one thing that I did hate is the way that Eliza Scanlon's character died like she I feel like they used her as a plot point to show oh she's another kid who's aged up oh and now she's having a baby and we're going to show how aging works because the baby's going to die and now we need to figure out a way to get rid of her. So let's have her just fall off a cliff. And it was I mean, like, that's weak. Like, no, why did they do yeah. it like that? Um, and I also hated, um, like you were talking about, the woman who's obsessed with the looks. It was such a cliche to have like this woman who's constantly on her phone, constantly taking selfies and obsessed with her looks. 
and be like, you know, don't look at me, don't look at me, I'm aging. It was like that. That's I think it's such that a could cliche. Have been really well, it could it have been, been, but it so wasn't. Well. It's so much potential, but yeah. and I think that, that there is a one of the only bits of the film I enjoyed, I outwardly enjoyed, was I enjoyed the way in which she died. I thought that was kind of the way that she. Well, I th- there's a, th- I a question I, I have about that because I don't know whether I just completely blacked out for a second, but did she die in that moment? Yeah, I think. Yeah, How I think did she, did. she die? I think she was, I think she was like because of the the thing like her no longer like her body could heal itself and it was like she basically fucked everything up. Because from what I the impression I was under, she kept breaking her bones and then they'd heal in the wrong position. But that wouldn't yeah, kill you. Die. So did they just leave her? Yeah, maybe. Like the next morning, she would have died eventually. She would have died eventually, yeah. yeah. But like the next morning, when they're sat on the beach making sandcastles, was she still like contorted in the cage, <laughs> but as like a ninety-five-year-old woman? I hope so. Because I, I don't so. remember her actually dying. I just remember her like lying on yeah. the floor, all yeah, no, contorted. Right. Yeah. But like you, you just said, that is that is a great moment and another great way to show that aging happens differently, and you know everything inside your body is accelerated. Um, but I love overthinking concepts like this. Love it. Yeah, but so, I I wish I had more I had more room to overthink it because everything's so overexplained. And well, I mean, I like outside well, of the film. But sorry, go on yeah. with what you were saying first. So, one of the most infuriating parts of this film is the kind of second, the, the initial twist of getting off the island. Um, yeah. So, he wakes up. He decides to mention, for the first time in ages, he literally had this whole time, oh yeah, by the way, I have this message from him. He decodes it. It tells him the way to get off the, the place, which is so, like, just easy. Right, he could have done that in day one, and the, what the whole film just doesn't happen. So he's got that, which is so like you know, a Deus Ex Machina, as they say, you know, just like, like easy plot resolution. And then he decides to wait to build a scanning castle, which is wasting loads of time. I don't know why they do that, and it seems really out of place. I'm sure it makes sense in the story, which is called Sandcastles. Well, that's not what they do. But oh, they, or the other way around. But still, yeah. he still knows that thing, and he still wastes time that he's going to spend trying to get off the island. Building sandcastles, and but again, I don't it see, probably I don't works in the graphic time. novel. But they be, because every second is so precious. You know, well, yeah, why would they do that? Point, why they given up. Trying to get off the island, they've given up at that point. I don't, now, I don't think no they, they can get out. I don't think they have. That doesn't feel like they have. They can because they even said, she even says like audience. we've got about thirteen hours left, right? And he's like, yeah, about thirteen hours. And they just kind well, of sit there. And he goes like, well, we've only got thirteen hours left. But the audience the knows so blatantly that, that that message is going to tell them how to get off the island. Every audience member knows that. Every yeah. audience member knows that that's going to tell them how to get off. So it's infuriating to then make them watch, to watch that and you think, oh, it's wasting time. And why are we sitting through this? Because it doesn't have this, it doesn't have an emotional reason. It's not a callback or anything. They've never talked about Sandcastle's property before in like a way that think there's no, like, ah, yeah. oh, that's nice. It feels like there's a missing scene that makes you want to care about that. It's again, I know what you the, mean. The novel, the graphic novel is called Sandcastle, so it probably means something there. But for here, it just feels like wasted time, both for them and for the audience. But then also, uh, the, 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 the thing is that they have to... The coral, right? Is that hmm. my uncle says he doesn't like the coral or something. So why does the uncle not get rid of the coral? It obviously isn't that hard to get rid of fucking coral. Just fucking get rid of it then. If he is worried about the entire clinical trials being ruined by the coral, then why would he not get rid of the coral? It's not invincible. 
It's just coral. Move it. Get rid of it. Yeah, that's I can. True. I know what they're trying to say. It's another thing. That was. Just, I was looking at it. I was like, why would he just leave it there? Why would he let it be fine? Also, they survive for about forty minutes underwater. Yeah, which that is, is ridiculous. And then the way they go about, like, sulk is like they kind of, kind of smook, sulk around the the place when they get back there. Like they wouldn't be just immediately growing straight up to him and just going, like, giving it a piece of paper. Won't go straight up to him. Hey, good, this is what's happening. You know, we're in all for we just been escaped. Oh my god! Like, why would he like be so like sneaky about it? I don't mm. know. It just that's a strange. That's not really a plot. I, th- I think my that's a weird decision. I think, why is it give the fucking coral? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I, I, I kind of get that, but I can kind of, you know, just suspend my disbelief and be like, okay, cool, you can't get rid of coral or whatever. Um, but one of my least favorite things about this is that the kids stop acting like kids. Yes. Like in the end, definitely they are six, but they're acting like they're not not quite adults. But they're definitely not acting Teenagers, six yeah. and like eleven. They're definitely acting like at least they're like seventeen, uh, maybe yeah. eighteen, and that's weird. Yeah. Like they stop acting like kids. Like yeah. what the, one of the weirdest the things one, for me. They're always being older. That would make sense. But the fact they choose yeah. to have them as kids until they get to forty. Yeah, it's weird, and you know, and one of the weird things as well is they make they make a baby. And like they yes, are emotionally and mentally six. Yes. Now, what? No. I'm not the kind of person that I wouldn't. I'm not the kind of person that would be like, "That's disgusting." I can't believe they made kids fuck. Like, oh yeah, I don't I wouldn't mean be it like, like that because they are. Like, because I know a lot of people yeah. are like that with baby teeth, and they completely misunderstand what baby teeth is about. But my yeah. point is, is that they're messing around. They don't know what they're doing, and they accidentally fuck. Like, and they and she he jizzes in her successfully. Like, how? How? Yeah. yeah, and it works. But I, I fucking don't think when I was fucking like eight, if I was allowed in a room with a mate for long enough, I'd eventually accidentally shag them, go absolutely <laughs> to town, have no problems about any of my physical prob- things that are changing, not run after and ask someone. I'd just go fully to town and then go like, yep, okay, I'm going to make sure that you know I stay in that hole there. Like, what a ridiculous set of scenarios yeah. for him to end like, up as much as I get the kid. point that they start having those yeah like I get the point like it they start really, having those kind sense. of feelings because they're now teenagers but they're, they're still kids yeah. like when you're six how would a six year old yeah this this emotionally six year old is in that, a grown up's probably... body but he's still six how would a six year old be like yes I need to put that in there to make it feel good and maybe yeah. Nothing will happen, keep, obviously. There's so much keep like, doing so much it. engineering that goes on there. Yeah. It's yeah. ridiculous. That's it's ridiculous. just weird. It'd make more sense if Thomas and McKenzie's characters does it, because she's double the age, even though it would still be disgusting and ridiculous. It would make more yeah. sense. He's a fucking six-year-old. Like, Yeah, exactly. Like, weird. why? Then, like, how pedophile, would a six-year-old do that? <laughs> I'm on the right record saying that... I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. But it's a really weird it, decision. It is it's weird. a really weird way of done. Like I understand that that's their way of showing oh they're teenagers and their bodies are changing and their yeah. hormones are coming out, but they're still emotionally a six year old and even if they're having those feelings, when you know, when it happens in real life when you're like twelve, you don't know what it means, you don't know what's happening and you're confused. Let alone if it was happening when you're six. You wouldn't understand it, let alone know what to do in that situation. It's just weird. It's very weird, that bit. And, yeah, don't like it. 
Yeah, no, do I. It's um, it's a weird decision, and and it's done weirdly. And I'm sure they could have showed that in a better way. Yeah, but it just stacks up with many problems that I have plot wise and and just generally film wise. Have we got any more thoughts to talk about with the specifics of the plot? I do. I do. Well, it's not technically a specifics of the plot, but I just want to say how you were talking sure. about how it's wasting time with the sandcastles. That's not how I viewed it at all. I actually really liked that touch because as much as I do agree with you, kind of, that there should have been a missing scene, like they had some kind of bond over sandcastles yeah, or sure. they built sandcastles together or whatever, I, I do still think that it was a really good way to show that they are still kids like at that point it feels like they've given up like they've accepted like you know the sister says we've got about 13 hours left and he's like yeah do you want to build a sandcastle because we've got no hope and we've only got 13 hours left do you want to build a sandcastle and she's like yeah let's build a sandcastle and then he says like you know my mate gave me this note i've not decoded it yet and she's like go on decode it have some fun have you know have this final message from your mate before we die of old age on this island on this beach and he decodes it and i think that that's a really really nice way to show that they are still kids because like i said my biggest issue is that the kids don't act like kids i think that's a really nice way to show that you know as much as they've not been acting like kids as much as they should have done they are still kids and in this moment of complete you know desperation where they've just given up their first thought is let's build a sandcastle and oh my mate gave me this message that i've not decoded yet let's do it, it's fun, let's decode it, I'm going to decode it because it gives me something to do, and it's fun, because I'm still sick, so I want to distract myself, and then it just so happens that that's how they get out, and and I really like that, I think that was one of the best scenes in the film, when they're, they're older, and you know, they're fully grown adults, they're like 40, 50, um, and, and they just decide to build a sandcastle, I think that's really good, I don't think it was wasting their time, well it was obviously wasting their time, but they didn't know it, because they didn't know that they were about to find out how to get off the island. And I don't think it was wasting the audience's time. I think it really showed that, like as you said, that they're still kids at heart. And she even says, again, one of the most horribly written lines, like, do people feel like kids even when they get this old? Or is it just because we're still kids technically? And it was like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, we get it. Okay, we get it. Everyone's a kid at heart. Yeah. And you're still kids because you were kids yesterday. You don't need to spell it out for us. Let us do some thinking. But I still really enjoyed that scene a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is him speaking to not appreciating the intelligence of the audience because regardless, of, I mean, I yeah. don't necessarily agree with everything you said specifically, but we're not going to go around in circles. But I also think yeah. that I will once again say that I think, you know, that the audience know exactly what's on that piece of, of, of paper. You know, yeah. we know exactly that it's going to be. And the fact that we have to sit through them, like, going through it, I think that's an, more annoying. And I, agree, I wish that, you know... I really, I really, love, I'd love someone to give this film a go again. You know, I really would. Yeah. But I'd love a reason for why. Um, I'd love a reason for you know something that brings that piece of paper back into attention or stops him from getting it for a certain time or it only shows up later as a paper airplane or something that stops you from from him just going. Oh yeah, by the way. Like, yeah. That, I, that was really one of the most infuriating. I get that, mate. Yeah. It's so as I said, there it's It's so out of nowhere. He's just coming. He's just. Pulled it out of his ass. Um, yeah. But yeah, before we finish off, um, unless you've got anything else to say, um, fucking. Th there is. This isn't particularly about the film. This is just me. Like I said, I enjoy overthinking concepts like this. Like, I was thinking after I watched it, like, it's not time isn't passing, but your cells are aging and time is passing for your cells. Your cells are aging rapidly. So, and your cells all need oxygen. 
So technically, if you held your breath for like a second, you'd suffocate to death. Your cells just wouldn't have enough oxygen, which means the time it takes between a breath is technically like hours of time. So they, they should have just died because they don't have enough oxygen yeah. in their cells. Yeah, maybe. And this isn't maybe. a complaint. I just love overthinking stupid, ridiculous things yeah, like that. Yeah, you are a bit of a dweeb, aren't you? I am, yeah. I love I love overthinking and in a way ruining <laughs> things like this by pointing yeah. out tiny, irrelevant, stupid things like that. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Elisa Scanlon. You know, Star you, of Little uh, Women, Greta Gerwig, 2018, that's 19 masterpiece. Exactly why I was said earlier. I was going to bring it up. <laughs> Elisa Scanlon, I love you. You know, I think you, you, you know, you're excellent. I mean, absolutely unbelievable in, in Baby Tooth, and, I, and I think Little she Women. Was, you know, I think well, she was yeah, she was good. She was she was good. Little Women. She was good. Little Women. Yeah, and she was excellent. Baby Tooth. She was good. Wow. Little Women. I don't think you're bad in old, right? You've been in four films, and obviously she's in the devil all the time, of course. You've been in four films in your career. Three of them, get the fuck off a fucking beach. It's nothing good has ever happened to you on the beach. <laughs> don't go to the beach again. That's she's, true. It, we don't need to see Elisa Scanlon on any more beaches. Because it's just not a good, it's not yeah. going to work out for you, mate. So that's my, my, uh, my message. I'm not the first person who said that. A lot of people have said it. But please. Because I remember like, there was like a... I still remember like seeing um, a letterbox list ages ago, like um, sad Lisa Scanlon's sad scenes on a beach cinematic universe of baby teeth and women. <laughs> and uh, this came out, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's, she was in a theatre production of Lord of the Flies. Oh, Jesus God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> she, she must have had a very bad experience at the beach as a kid. It's going to become. Not... That's going to become like Owen Wilson's Wow. It's going to be gonna every be project like... she's in, she needs to have a depressing scene on a beach. Yeah, and she dies as well. So, <laughs> um, she, is, she is the new, um, what's his name? She's the new uh, Sean Bean, except for it. it's not just yes. dying, it's specifically, dying on well, not necessarily dying on yeah. a beach, but death and beaches. Death and yeah. beaches sounds like a great indie band. That does, doesn't okay. it? Yeah. Uh, Catfish is the bottom end, Britta, this week. How are we going? Okay, so we'll go into um, our our ratings. So I'll let you go first, shall I? Yes. Hello to all the people that um, yes. the spoilers. Um, oh yeah, uh, the spoiler people. Well, you're Hello, back. welcome back. So, what rating are you going to give this out of ten? Well, this is this is really really difficult for me because, like, unlike you, I loved everything about this film apart from the screenplay, but the screenplay was so bad that it dragged everything else down with it. So it was. this is literally like if you're on a sinking ship and you can get away, but someone else is holding onto your coat and dragging you down underwater with you with them. I, I That's think, what the screenplay you know, is for this. There's a lot of reviews where we're talking about bad screenplays. It's hard to put into perspective how what much worse this yeah. is the screenplay of any other film. Like It's really hard to... Like, you can't really hear for the audience. You have to watch this yourself, I guess, but I wouldn't want anyone to watch this. It's hard to, to put it into perspective just how bad the screenplay is here. It is. It's genuinely horrific. So if the screenplay was good, or even if the screenplay was adequate, this would be a solid 9 or 8 out of 10 for me. But the screenplay is so horrifically bad that it drags that 9 all the way down to, like, a 6, 5.5... 
So I'm gonna right. go. I'm gonna go with six out of ten, actually. Okay. I am going to give this a two and a half out of ten. Oof. Now, part of me thinks two. Part of me thinks three. Uh, I'm going between it. The the concept and some of the effects and aging effects, I think, were strong enough to to push it up higher than a one or a two. Um, but I don't think it, it has enough about it to be considered a three. So I'm giving it a two and a half out of ten. Truly, I've, right now on my ranking list, I said about it, Nomadland is no is not uh, you know quaking in its boots here. <laughs> I've only got two films on the year ranked lower this year, which are um, Thunder Force. Um, which I enjoyed a lot more than old. Um, I'll say that. Uh, Thunder Force and Monster Hunter. And uh, yeah, so this was just a bit worse than The Conjuring, which of course I gave an impassioned uh, review of as as well on the podcast. (laughs) Yes, and this is below that. So yes, okay. Man of the Match. Um, This is uh, relatively easy for me. I did want to give it to M. Night Shyamalan because... I do think that this is exceptionally well directed and he is a great director, but he also yes. wrote the screenplay. So that instantly rules him out. But well, I will. Give, you can give it to him for directing if you like. No. We can. Cause, yeah, okay. No. He, uh, he wrote this screenplay that is unforgivably bad. So he won't get any praise from me. <laughs> but I will give praise to Mike. Sorry about the pronunciation of this name. Gilakis? Gilakis, yes. Yeah. The cinematographer. Because unlike you, I really liked the cinematography. I thought the cinematography... I really liked some of the cinematography. I thought it was great. He he also did the cinematography on Us, didn't he? Oh, did he? Yeah, Jordan Peele's Us, I think. I think it's him. Unless there's another... Person yeah, no, no, name. no, 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 you did, yeah, yeah, did. Yeah, all right. He did split so, us old. Oh, did he split as well? Yeah. Oh, he must be a uh, an M Night collaborator. But yeah, those, yeah I, the ones that you've done with him. Yeah, but I really like, I really liked the cinematography. I thought it was really stylized and really different, and it wasn't just shot in a conventional, boring way. I thought it was really interesting, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, okay. Um, I think I would disagree with some parts. I do think the general cinematography is decent, but it's, there's bit, little bits of shit that are kind of smeared throughout. Um, <laughs> I am going to give it, and I've alluded to this a few times, um, I am giving this to Rufus Sewell. Um, of course, you know, also notable for being one of the two pools in, in The Father uh, mm-hmm. recently. Um, I think that you know, again, towards the end, he can't he can't say the sinking ship, but I think that he does an awful uh, an awful try at it, an awful good job at doing that in the early film. I think he's one of the only actors that looks head and shoulders above the rest. So I think Rufus Sewell for me. Wow, um, very math. different opinions on old. Yes, in some ways very similar, in some ways yeah. very different. Um, yeah. We agree yes, on the screenplay. Um, Yes, yes, we agree on screenplay. <laughs> we don't agree on much else um, yeah. because you hate every you you hate the screenplay and I hate everything and the screenplay. Um, yeah. I'm gonna say um, perhaps for future recordings you can turn your um, your uh, noted your yeah. what's it called uh, notifications on. notifications off. It's my laptop. No, my my phone and iPad are on silent. My laptop and I can't turn that on silent. All oh, right. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm well, using I'm it. Not, I'm, I, 
I apologise to anyone that's made this far because I'm certainly not going yeah. to edit, edit that. And that, that, was actually, okay. that was actually our former co-host, so you can blame him for that one. All right, okay. Um, <laughs> right, okay. So that wraps up uh, this episode of Now Showing Podcast. Um, now, obviously, both of those two films are currently in the cinema. Uh, I believe in the next week we've got uh, Suicide Squad coming out. Is that right, this week? Yeah, it's Friday, it's... next Friday. Four yep, days so away, this Friday. Probably... Yeah, so we'll probably be doing that as the next episode. So you'll probably see us doing that, talk about James Gunn's new uh, addition to the um, to, to the DCEU. Yeah. Um, so we'll be back from that. Um did you? I, I'm, I don't know about you. I've been aggressively avoiding the June trailer, and I so far have managed to do that. The what trailer? Sorry. The June trailer. Oh, that I have also avoided that. Yeah, I'm not watching it. I, yeah, I feel like um, it's a difficult word to pronounce in my accent. I think. I know. Yeah, I feel like is it June? Is it Dune? Is it June? I feel like being Northern used to say Dune. Dune. Yeah. I I can't say that. I don't want to call you. <laughs> June. David Den, David? Well, David Lynch's June. David Denis Lynch's Villeneuve. June. Yeah. I should watch that before the new one comes out. Oh, that's a good point, actually. That's another film that I watched this week was Arrival. Villeneuve's Arrival. That oh, I right, watched yeah. I originally watched that when it first came out and I thought it was boring and I hated it. And I fell asleep towards the end. So I never actually found out how it ended. But I rewatched it this week. I was wrong. It's a masterpiece. It's brilliant. Uh, you also watched uh, another film this week. We didn't talk about. Uh, you also watched Victoria this week. That's true. I did. That was also very good. That is that. That Victoria is the definition of a slow burn. It's it's shot in one take, and I was I was stunned by this because I love one takes, and one of my favorite things to do. One of my favourite nerdy things to do is spot the hidden cuts. And I was doing it when we were watching Victoria, and I was like, I can't find where they could have cut. And then I googled it, and JL told us that it was actually filmed in one take. They didn't just make it look like one take. It was actually filmed in one take. And that blew my mind, because why did they do that to themselves? They could have hidden cuts. They could have hidden cuts in so many obvious places but they actively decided to make it more difficult for themselves and I loved it I loved the the novelty of being a one shot all the way through and it was actually a really interesting story but it is the definition of, of a slow burn and some people sure. will be deterred by the lack of plot technically okay fair enough, um, I only saw half an hour because I was busy that day um, yeah. I hope I get around to finishing it off it is great um, and it definitely does not go in the direction that we all because we were watching it together in a oh, watch right, party. Yeah. We were all making completely wild theories, and it did not go in the direction we expected it to go in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, definitely okay. give it a go. Well, that that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because I obviously was on the same page as you lot when I was watching it. Um, yeah. but I wonder what what changes that I didn't expect. Okay, that pretty much wraps up everything for today's episode of the Now Showing Podcast. Um, so, of course, uh, if you want to follow the podcast, you can do so uh, on Twitter at Now Showing Pod. Um, and you can find uh, me, uh, Sam H Media. And if you want to find Lewis, you can do so at LJWR underscore. Um, if you want to follow us on, on Letterboxd, it's Sam Houston and LJWR. And... 
Uh, we are proud members of the Music City Drive-In Network. You can find their website, which contains podcasts like our own, other film podcasts, other music podcasts, fancy football podcasts, if you're into American football, and a number of articles about all of those subjects and reviews, that, you know, the cracking reviews that rival even ours. Uh, and you can find them out on Twitter as well, at, at MCDIPod. And, yeah, and if you like the podcast, uh, the best way to support us, of course, is by telling every single person you know and by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. It helps us get up in the rankings, and we greatly appreciate it. We'll see you next week, and thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.